From Loyola University Chicago School of Law and WLUW, this is The Podvocate. We are law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvocate wherever you get your podcasts and join us every Saturday evening at 6 p.m. on WLUW 88.7 Chicago. For more information about this episode and our guests, please visit our website at thepodvocate.com and check out our social media pages. Hi, Savannah. Thanks for joining me on The Podvocate today. Of course. Thanks for having me. So, Savannah, I'd love for you to just introduce yourself and share with our listeners where you work and what you currently do. Of course. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Um, I am an attorney at Kirkland & Ellis, and I work in the investment funds group, um, which I will talk about more later, but it's on the corporate side of of things at Kirkland. And Savannah, tell me a little bit about your decision to go to law school. Where are you from? Where did you go to law school? Yeah, let's just take us back in time a little bit before the attorney days. Yes. Okay. So um, I was born and raised here in Chicago, South Side, and um, huge Chicago person, huge Chicago fan. Love it here. Um, And my mom is actually a doctor. And I knew from the time that I couldn't stand the sight of blood that I could not be a doctor. So I had to find another path. Um, and I, my dad was a teacher and so I, and I actually did teach for a while, but I was always interested in being a lawyer, um, because I always had like a a sharp mouth, a sassy mouth when I was growing up. So people were like, you should be a lawyer. And I'm like, mental note. Okay. That could be good for me, you know? Um, but it wasn't until I was in, I, I believe I was in college at Amherst with you. And that's when I decided that law school was something that I actually really wanted to pursue. Um, and that I think it would be a good fit for me. And a big part of that was like, I, I knew that I was taking political science classes. I was taking art history classes. And there were, I had a lot of questions about the mechanics of how things were working, legal mechanics that, um, you know, you can't answer truly in college in a, in a political science class. And I wanted to continue having these conversations about you know, society and law and decision making. And so um, I knew when I graduated from law school that I would be applying, um, graduated from college that I would be applying to law school. Um, And yeah, and I applied while I was living in South Africa, actually. So I received a Fulbright fellowship and um, uh, right after I graduated college. And while I was there, I was teaching these kids. I was teaching ninth and 10th graders and these kids were wonderful. I still follow them all on social media. They follow me. Um, but it was tough. I was working all day in a township. I was driving on the other side of the road. And one of the biggest issues we were having at the school was just the degree of corruption in like education in South Africa. There were school books that were being stolen and there were just there was just so much, so many issues in terms of what the children were learning. And that's when I was like, okay, um, I knew I was kind of interested in law, but I didn't know when, what, know what I was actually interested in. And it was um, when I was teaching that I decided like, okay, education policy and like education law, like that seems interesting and like has an effect on society and like 
I, I enjoy this. And so while I was in South Africa, I applied to law school um, and I took the bar, the bar exam, the, um, the LSAT twice while I was in South Africa. The first time the literal, the lights went off and we had to, I was, I took a logic game actually in the dark and um, a section in the dark. And the second time a, the building burned down and they had to like ship us to another, like a country club, an Afrikaner's like, country club to, so I could take the bar but I'm like you know what I think that this is worth it so I'm gonna take I keep on saying the bar I take the LSAT um but yeah so that's kind of my my journey um as to why I decided to go to law school yeah that's you know logic games in the logic games in the dark <laughs> I, I didn't think that that section could get worse but um that that definitely would do it <laughs> Yeah, the lights went out and like the generator was supposed to come on and they didn't. And so we're just like, okay, keep going. <laughs> Persevere. Um, yeah. So you just brought up, you know, seeing an interesting intersection between education and law. Mm -hmm. What did, when you got to law school, did you explore that connection? What were some other connections that you explored in law school? Um, definitely. So I was, when I got to law school in one year, you know, we have the doctrinal classes. I went to U Chicago law school. So back to the South side of Chicago and as a one L at U Chicago, you're allowed to take one elective, your spring quarter. And we're also in the quarter system, not the semester system. So we take so many classes and my one election that I took chose to take was an education law class with um, professor Justin Driver, who now works at Yale, he's a fantastic man and professor. Um, and he actually just wrote a, he wrote a book while I was taking his class beyond the schoolhouse gate, which is a phenomenal book. Um, <clears throat> but I was like, okay, if I'm going, I said I wanted to do some education work. This is the elective that I'll take. I took the class and I learned all the seminal cases of like education law in America, all Supreme Court cases, like how they all work together was a great class. Um, and at that point, I was like, okay, I think I want to continue looking into this and like studying more of this. So my second, my 2L year, um, there was another class where U Chicago law students were able to teach um, like eighth graders, um, seventh and eighth graders, basic court cases and like a little bit about education law. And I did that my first quarter of my 2L year, kind of following that up. And I had a really great time. Um, but by that time, my interest had started shifting towards other areas of the law. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting. But also, um, this might not be where I want to specialize. This is what got me through the door. And this was fascinating and important. And I know the I know what to look for in the issues here. But this is not where I want to put my time um, long term. And so um, I started exploring other options. That's really cool to hear you talk about getting to teach middle schoolers because at Loyola, we have a program called Street Law where Loyola students get to do a similar thing in their 2L or 3L year. And I've actually been working with some of the, the professors at Loyola and did a fun mini lesson where I got to put my teacher hat back on uh, mm -hmm. and model you know, what it looks like to do small groups and do turn-in talks, all of that fun teacher stuff. So. I, I'm sure that you felt the same way as someone who also was teaching in a classroom, how it's really cool to get to, to be back in that space, but mm -hmm. from the 
the lawyer perspective and, you know, showcasing these really complex legal topics. But the, the best way to really understand those is to try to explain them in simple, accessible ways to children, you know? So I think that's cool to, to hear that you also got to take advantage of that at UChicago. Definitely. What were some other experiences that you had at UChicago that you would say either nurtured some of the other directions that you that you were interested in exploring in law or that you would say have been most impactful for your law career now? Oh, that's a good question. So I, my one all year, I took the doctrinal classes, like I said, and then took the elective. I realized that first year that like, I am not going to be the best law student. <laughs> like some people are, some people really have a talent for law school. They they really do. And it's beautiful to see and witness in real life them killing cold calls and things like that. But um, I, my first, my 1L year, I realized that, okay, I like the law. I'm really interested in this field, but I don't, I think that there are, first of all, I think that I'm going to be a better practicing attorney than I am law student. And so I need to find basically the classes and clinics and groups and teams that will just get me to the point of being a lawyer since this, the next couple of years are going to be tough, um, which it was. But so my 2L years when I started exploring and that's when, you know, your curriculum opens up and the first thing that I did, and I can't speak highly enough, is the clinic at one of my one of the clinics at the University of Chicago. I was in the Kirkland and Ellis, not surprising, the Kirkland and Ellis um, corporate lab, and it basically their job is just to teach to uh, teach two L's and three L's how to be corporate attorneys, and like you get a couple of clients, and you're put on a couple teams, and um, you know, you just have some basic deliverables, like write a memo on this topic for this client or um, do some research on this question. And I remember also like I was working with, um, I, I was a TA in the clinic after my 3L year. I worked there, I was in the class my 2L year and then my 3L year, I actually like TA'd it. And we were receiving all these questions from like huge companies and they're asking us questions about the pandemic like okay so like can we is the force majeure clause like can we hit the can we activate this now like there it was it was so interesting so definitely um my clinic was like a big step in a different direction but a good step for me and that's when I was like okay corporate is much more my speed like I feel like I can be involved in my community be involved be involved with my family and still do good work um, and also like a lot of the work I realized that I was learning, a lot of the things I was learning in the doctrinal classes, specifically crim law and like torts was pretty heavy. And like, I found myself, like there was just a couple cases that I was like, that were so dark in crim law that I remember thinking like, I could not dedicate my life to this because it would affect my mental health. And so like, I also had to kind of survey myself and say, okay, what is sustainable for me over time to become a specialist in um, that won't kill me? Um, and so I took the corporate, the corporate clinic. I took, of course, like biz orgs classes and bankruptcy classes, all of which are super important. Um, 
I also took a lot of Chicago specific classes, which, um, and that was another thing. So like I, in another different direction, um, I knew that I was interested in staying in Chicago and being here and I wanted to explore, I wanted to learn about my city while I was here. So I took a, like my tax for a tax class. I took a class about state and local taxes, like here in Illinois and all of my classes basically were as Chicago focused as possible. Um, I even took a class with like the corporate council of the city of Chicago and he week by week we had cases like that actually happened in the city of Chicago like okay the Star Wars museum they it wants to come to to um, Soldier Field area how are we going to deal with that how does eminent domain work in that like we have to talk through all of those issues and um, there was even a class like where we talked about taxi medallions and uber drivers coming and how the city solved the pro the issues of like the rise of uber and so i was like wow i find i found that i was really interested in like just basically administrative law in that kind of in that sense and as it touched my city and so i just kept on taking classes and um exploring different things and i stayed away from the things that like i knew i could not handle or i could i did not want to do I didn't I never took a, a a hearsay or evidence class not once because I'm like I won't be in a courtroom you won't find me there <laughs> when you think about law school overall you mentioned feeling like you knew that you necessarily your first year with the doctrinals you you described it perfectly you know that maybe I'm learning a lot that's going to help me be a successful practicing attorney but I don't necessarily feel like I'm going to be you know, the best law student. Were there certain experiences from the first year? I can really hear like your passion shine through when you talk about some of those classes, especially the corporate lab and how hands-on it was or when you got to learn about the different court cases. Do you in some ways feel like the lack of hands-on learning of law school is what was difficult or just speak a little bit more to that. Like, why is it that you think the best law student isn't always necessarily the, the best practicing attorney? Oh, definitely. I could talk about this for hours. I was, <laughs> so I, I really struggled my first year because 1L is a very solitary experience. You are in the library, you're in your apartment, you're reading for hours and hours on end and trying to understand things that are sometimes against your own common sense. And um, and that's also another piece of it and a, actually a very big piece of it. Um, 1L was tough. And I think a big, and, and to answer your question, um, the first thing that comes to my mind is like the reasonable person standard. And a couple friends and I, one a year, we were so upset because we were like, re people, black people don't act like how reasonable, how they say the reasonable person acts. Like, who is this reasonable person? Um, and so there was so much unlearning and learning of what um, is supposed to be like, I, I don't know, legal standards that did not align with my life experience. And there were people in my class who they, I mean, because of their background, because of their parents, they've been speaking this language forever. They know this so well. Um, and so they were able to kind of wrap their heads around a lot of concepts, I think a lot easier than, um, than I was. And that gave them kind of a, a jump start. Um, 
but also like the law is intrinsically deeply racist and sexist and once you crack that egg your 1l year especially as a black woman with my intersections i'm like okay i have to motiv motivate myself each day to find it in me to learn these doctrinal cases these these courses and and, and do what i need to do um, not only because it doesn't make sense, but a lot of this has been used to actively oppress my people like me over the years. Um, so, and, you know, other classmates, they didn't have that issue. They weren't thinking they didn't have to worry about how in property class their ancestors were never considered property. Um, so anyway, saying all that to say, I realized when I'm in my 1L year, like, okay, the doctrinal law, the white man's law, the legal law. <laughs> and you could edit this how you need to, um, it is, this is kind of counterintuitive to a lot of things that I thought that I understand and that process of unlearning and then learning sets me back all already. But that doesn't mean that I can't be a zealous advocate once I have these skills. And even seeing how a lot of people who had had that experience, had had all this background, they could not communicate they couldn't advocate zealously they couldn't speak they couldn't have the emotional connections that you need with clients um or with other students or even with their professors and so um i remember in one of my interviews this the last thing i'll say in one of my interviews for um a summer associate position an attorney told me this he, he was like my biggest advice for you in law school is just to run your own race don't look to the left, don't look to the right, don't think about what other people are doing, just try to run your own race. And I think that was really helpful. Like once I realized like, okay, I'm not going to be the top student here because there's a lot of learning and unlearning here and there's a lot going on, but I can run my race and like be the best version of myself. I can be, build off my own talents. And that is something that I can see myself doing, not just for three years, but for the rest of my life, you know? So I'll just I'll just get my little C's and and keep on going and just get to get to graduation. So, yeah. I feel like that's that's such important advice to run your own race because law school for so many law school is built in such a comparative and competitive fashion, like the way it's structured, even like getting through the door <laughs> is fashioned that way. And so then everything that follows is too. So it seems obvious, like, of course, run your own race, but it, it's hard to remember that when you're ranked, you're, yeah. you know, you're really, yeah. you're with the same 80 people, you know, in the section for the first year, like everything just feels so competitive. Um, and I think, I was at a, a birthday dinner for a good friend earlier this week and her aunt is a lawyer and her and I started down a, you know, some of that like law, law talk, if you will. Um, and someone at the dinner mentioned like, wow, like I always feel like when I'm around lawyers or law people, I learn about a new type of law that I've never even heard of, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's the funniest part is that law school makes us feel like we need to be doing what the person next to us is doing so yeah. we can do it better. And then you get to the, what the life of like practicing law and there's, it's built in so many different pathways. Like yeah. at a certain point, it's almost funny that we were, we're so competitive when it's like, 
all of us are going to be doing different things anyway. Exactly. You know, exactly. like, like this is so vast. There's enough space, right? For, For all us, of us to do our own thing. Right. So it's, it, it always like, it always gets me going sometimes. Cause I'm like, I have to just keep that in mind and know that like, yeah. it's okay to not know what five years from now looks like. Right. And it's not going to be dependent on, you know, acing that cold call in criminal procedure. Um, but it is going to be dependent on the way you build those connections, the way you talk to people, the way you advocate for your clients and just like, just how you run your race, like the quality of, of how you're running it, you know? So, and as a part of running your race, there'll be moments where you're not the fastest and you're just like, Hey, I'm not the best. And I'm okay with that because I'm going to finish the race anyway. Like I'm going to keep going and I'm going to do it my way. And that's where I was 1L, where I was like, I'm not the fastest here. I'm not the, I'm not the best, but I'm not going to like, I just need to make it through. Um, or I'm going to run my own race. So different speeds too. Exactly. Yeah. And then that's what, that's how we know that that's like, as, as former educators, we know that that's like, that's good practice. You know, students are supposed to, you know, receive information differently and, and move at different speeds. Like that is very much developmentally appropriate. Um, always for, for children and adults, you know, to, to learn differently and move differently. So you ran, um, you ran the race, uh, and now you're a practicing attorney. Tell me a little bit about your pathway to Kirkland, what does it mean to do investment funds? I don't know much about that work, but yeah. I know that you are crushing it and doing a great job. <laughs> so yeah, let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, like I said, I'm interested. I was interested since kind of the end of one L year in the transactional side. And I was, um, I actually was slated to go to and I started at Scadden and the MA group. Um and so that's just kind of like the big umbrella for all Kirk for all um corporate work. Um and I did like a lot of the day to day from what I saw. And what basically I saw is like, oh you're just moving numbers around and you're drafting contracts and like, you know, you're talking to business people and you're trying to find business solutions and that are informed by the law, which is already murky at that. Like this, this is okay. This works for me. Um, I started at Skadden and eventually went to Kirkland. And when I went to Kirkland, I decided to, I switched groups. So I was in M&A before, and now I'm in investment funds. And a big part of that decision um, was I knew that, like I said, I wanted to be on the transactional side, but when I left Skadden, I was looking for a very particular group. I was looking for a woman-led group with a lot of younger partners. Um, I was looking for a group, a firm that would support a more entrepreneurial um, associate. Um, I was looking for independence. I wanted to talk to clients. I had a list of things that I wanted. And I was like, I could be in any group as long as I, these things are hit. Um, and I remember I was interviewing for another firm and I was thinking to myself like, wow, this has almost everything, but I don't think I would interface with clients that much. And I don't like how 
the I would primarily be working with men and so I ended up deciding to go to Kirkland because I knew that I would be primarily working with women and I would have a chance to kind of flex a lot of the soft skills that set me apart in law school that I which I knew I would be a great attorney because of but I couldn't flex while I was in law school um so I joined the investment funds group um without knowing much about investment funds. So when I started, let's just say I, I probably knew as much as you right now, right now, but um, basically investment funds is the creation of private equity funds. We are the people who actually do the legal sorcery and creating these business entities. And just like us take a step back, you know, there's public money, there's private money. And People want to make sure that their money is growing and, you know, they can hopefully make money off that money. And so private equity, equity exists where, whereby you trust a manager um, to invest your money in different companies, usually in the United States or wherever you might be, um, in order to, so that you may receive a return um, on your investment. And the way that I like to think about it is like, it's a huge party and like you have a general part partner and they're like the main friend, the friend that's like planning the party and they have to get all of their friends to join and like put in. And those are the limited partners and the limited partners put in some cash, like, okay, I'll put in 20 bucks, but usually it's like 20 million or 200,000 or whatever. And the general partner puts all the money together um, into a private equity fund so that they that then this group of friends can go out and buy different companies. And um, my job is each day to collect the money from the individual partners, make sure that each investor is like legally qualified to give us their money because we don't, a lot of these general partners, a lot of these management companies, they don't want their they don't want to be dealing with politically exposed people or people who they can't trust to to like, to call capital when they need to, and so um, we do a lot of we basically ask for all it's like a background check and a very long application, <clears throat> and um, to join a private equity fund, and so what I my day to day life is forming the fund and then and drafting. Um, the agreement of the fundraise, a limited, limited partnership agreement, and then also collecting the money from the limited partners so that um, we can assure the general partner that they are legally able to participate in this fundraise. And then once all the money is collected, like I've been in fundraises that, I've closed fundraises that are 15 billion, um, like 1.5 billion and 300 million, 200 million. Once you close on that, then, the general partner can go out and like spend that money. And so that's kind of what I do on a day-to-day basis. I just um, like deal with that process of the fundraising, of fundraising, creating the private equity funds, and then making sure that all the limited partners are legally able to join before they go out and spend money to buy portfolio companies. I don't know if that made sense. But, no, it definitely uh, does. You know, I love... You know, I love a metaphor, Savannah. So <laughs> that's, no, that's definitely helpful. And really cool to hear, really cool to hear you explain it in that way, because all of those things, now that I hear, now that I've heard you explain it, that is, those are things that I, I know of, I'm not very familiar with, but like I know of, 
but the way you explained it is very, very helpful. So I guess my next question is, what is, what is your day-to-day, what does your day-to-day look like? Mm-hmm. Like on a given day, what are some of the things that you're doing, right? To make sure that that process works smoothly. Definitely. So I, I wake up and I'm in my inbox and there's usually a whole bunch of emails. Um, and so it depends on where we are in the fundraising process. I think that's like a big part of it because if you're at the beginning of the fundraising process, you're still drafting um, the principal documents of the fundraise. So I will, um, you know, review a private placement memorandum, which is a disclosure document that just explains what the fund is going to do. I will review, revise, draft the limited partnership agreement so that kind of the game, the rules of the game are set. Um, A lot of times and a big part of my day though is really spent in the fundraise and collecting money and making sure that each limited partner has is legally able to join the firm um, the fund and so on any given day if there's a fundraise I might have four or five limited partners and for each for and, and mind you there's a general partner too and the general partner is the main friend they want their limited the limited partner their other friends to invest in their party so that they can spend the money and so at any time I'm reviewing the subscription agreement, which is basically the application to join the private equity fund, like, okay, they answered this question wrong. They answered this question wrong. They didn't understand this. Um, And so like, I review that and make sure that, okay, this investor is now able to join the fund. But a big part of that is that if you're getting, if you have a limited partner that is giving a lot of money or like a friend who is giving a lot of money, you might negotiate like a side deal. And so what we have are side letters, which are letter agreements between the general partner and the limited partner saying, hey, like, because I'm joining the fund, I'm going to ask for certain perks. And as a part of my day, I will talk to these these investors, these limited, these soon to be limited partners and ask them, okay, what do you want? How do you, what does a general partner need to do to get your money? And okay, let me like draft a provision so that this happens just for you. And let me pass that by the general partner, make sure he's okay with it. And then, okay, they're okay with it. You can have that that provision and, um, you know, we're all set, let's sign it. And now you're joining the fund, but you have special perks. And so a big part of my day is like talking to investors, asking what they need, what they want from the general partner so that we can get their money. so day to day, I'm on the phone with investors. And I mentioned this earlier, like I wanted to interface with people and clients, and I'm definitely doing that. Um, and also all of their their biggest investors. Um, so usually on phone calls and then like drafting documents for or reviewing documents, people ask questions about what the partnership can and cannot do. And then I'm like, oh, let me look at the limited partnership agreement. And I go back and I'm like, okay, this is this is how we handle this. So that's kind of my day. And it's, um, I'm trying, I, I don't know if I made it sound really interesting or really boring, but I personally, I feel like it's pretty interesting. And like, I work with a lot of women and that's been really great. Um, I'm on teams where, 
I'm on teams where there are only black women on the on the Kirkland side and our clients, our sponsors, the general partners are black people. So I have black funds where black people are raising money to invest in minority businesses. And then black women are creating the fund and connect collecting money from other black people to invest in black businesses, which is awesome. Um, so I've also been able to like kind of find my niche within it, which is why I kind of, which is why I enjoy it. That was um. the, and that's a big thing. And like, for anyone listening and for you, like almost bigger than what you're doing is who you're doing it with. And I, when I was leaving Skadden and looking at my, and looking towards other firms, that was the biggest thing I was looking for. Okay, where can I find a group of people that I want to actually work late into the night with? And I know personally, that's gonna be a group of women or primarily women. And so I made that the top, a top priority for me. And I think that that definitely has influenced, um, has made my time at Kirkland so much better. Um, and there's not a lot of black women. There are, I think only three of us in the Chicago office, um, but we're, we work together. We've all worked together and we can choose what type of fundraisers we want to take on. So that's awesome. I want to go back to this list because I think that's, really important. I think, you know, I took time between Amherst and law school and, you know, it was teaching and then working in the education space. So I feel like the idea of a list is something that is so important in just in a working environment period, knowing that like who you're with, what the company's values are, are very important. Like the work you're doing, of course, that's important, but who you're doing it with and who you're doing it for is also really important. I do know that that can be trickier to have that kind of agency and autonomy over a list maybe when you're first mm -hmm. like graduating from law school. But at the same time, yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on like, do you encourage for those listening who are in my shoes, you know, or not in my shoes yet, I'm a 2L, but maybe 1Ls or people that want to go to law school. Like, do you think it's important to maybe have a list as you're getting ready to walk out that door? Um, is part one of the question. And then part two is, does knowing what you want on that list in some ways though, come with working in the legal profession, in the profession first, you know? So yeah, that's actually, those are two great questions. And I think the follow-up's really important because there so so much of it takes experience. You have to see what you like and what you don't like to know what you don't want. <laughs> um, but I will say that even in law school, I started realizing the things that I don't like and people in class that I don't like, the type of questions that I don't like. Um, there were just little things. And I, I didn't have, I wasn't in a position straight out of law school to, I didn't have a list like that straight out of law school, but I do wish that I had like thought about that more. And I think it's something just to generally think as you move around in your career, because unlike, you know, past generations, we're probably not going to be at the same place for like 50 years. We'll probably move around. Um, and so to that end, you have to ask yourself, what do you want? And um, like to my list, I knew that I wanted Besides the fact that I knew that, you know, there was a certain, I wanted the security of a big law firm for, fi for my financial, for my finances and for my loans, all of that. But also 
I wanted to work with a primarily women team. I wanted a Chicago-based firm. Um, I was like, whatever I do, I don't want the headquarters to be anywhere but Chicago. That was so important to me. Um, and I also wanted to be able to be in the office when I wanted to. I didn't want there to be a strict policy. And so I, I, I wrote um, down just a list of things that I wanted like that. And um, I would recommend you doing the same thing too, even at this stage, because you can at least see like, okay, it looks like, it looks like this, this is the type of job I want. And maybe I'm not looking in the right place, or maybe I'm looking in the, in the right place, but I'm talking to the wrong people. So, um, and also your, your career will be long. And so like, how can I start working to get more of the things on my list? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I I think it's really, like you said, it's, you can't know everything, like you don't know what you don't know yet, right? But I do think you're right. There's so many experiences in law school that are telling, you know, like that are, that are giving us little tidbits yeah. of information about what we like, what we don't like, what we gravitate towards, what we don't get tired of. Um, so I think that is, pretty interesting to think about and obviously it has me now my wheels are turning about like hmm like <laughs> you know like, maybe I do have some of this list already you know maybe I just do. haven't really formalized it you know but I do I do know what I've what I've loved about law school or, or what areas I, I can't get enough of and I know the things that maybe I wouldn't like in a in a in a work environment either you know so and you can, I, I would just try to consolidate all of that and think like, okay, am I applying to jobs that are in this direction, you know, or what can I find that's kind of similar to this? Um, yeah, but I, 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 tr I will say also, and not into this, to this point, I wasn't just thinking about classes. I wasn't just thinking about like, you know, the technical skills. I don't like torts, but I do like crim. I was also thinking of a lot of the soft skill things. Like I enjoy talking to my professors. My professors simply love me and I love them. I know that I will get along well with, I, with, you know, authority wherever I choose to go. I'll make good conversation. I'm good with people, whereas other people aren't. I want to be with people and I also want to be around I, I want to be around people I want to have conversations about the law with other people but I also want to be around people who are making decisions like not the professor professor but like the partner I want to be there and like have a good connection and good relationship and I started though and things like that you know you start seeing in law school like okay you know I'm better at this than other people or like I'm good at this so yeah definitely and I I wonder too, when you think about like what your favorite part of your job now, it's, it sounds like the people are a big, a big, a big draw for you. Would you say that's true? Working with people? I, I will say that. Yeah. I really like the fact that I, I really like the people that I work with internally at Kirkland, just so smart, like unbelievably brilliant people. And 
you know, they, they consider me one as well. And just having my, my thoughts and like ideas valued and also being around so many people that I respect, um, that has been really good for me. And I also think that has allowed me to be pretty successful in the firm because I have a lot of, I'm on a human level, you know, I'm like, I respect you. Um, and also I can learn a lot from you and we're all on the same team, but also like in terms of externally excited outside of the firm, I, um, I've had a lot of fun just, you know, talking to clients and things like that. So that is definitely one of the, something that I'm really enjoying right now um, in my job. And it also helps, you know, like, I don't hate the substance of what I'm talking about them. Either. Like I'm talking about moving their money around and private equity funds. And um, like, I don't hate the substance. I'm not super passionate about it, but I'm interested enough that like, I get the work done. I do the work done well. I can have the right conversations. Um, so, yeah. And I know that you you touched on this already. Um, you are, you know, a product of Chicago, product of Chicago's South Side. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're very proud of it. Um, obviously, I love, love your city very much. Um, can't get enough of it. But I also know that you're very involved, not just with your work right but like you're also involved in the community um and you care so much about the community and you just mentioned you know it, the substance is something that you find interesting maybe it's not like the the thing in your life that you're most passionate about but i kind of want what are some of the things in your community that you are really proud to be involved in and can you share a little bit with the listeners about what that looks like for you Yeah. So, um, I am pretty involved. I am, I try to be involved in, in my community as much as possible. And this is kind of also where I feel like a big reason I chose transactional work is because I want to be, to be able to do my work and then also, you know, fulfill my passions and be on the ground as I needed. And I didn't feel like I could do that with the emotional weight of a lot of things that I saw on the litigation side, but to each their own you know, to each their own, but, um, and, you know, trial lawyers, you guys are truly like the gladiators we don't deserve, we need, <laughs> um, but I, I couldn't see myself going that way, so anyway, um, I'm very involved in, like, Southside Chicago politics, I try to stay very involved with, like, local elections, and, um, a lot of housing, there's, there's a lot of housing issues on, in Chicago, specifically on the South side. And with, um, with the pandemic, honestly, there were just so, it, it, there was, it, it was, it was, Chicago oh, like, had the highest level number of evictions in the United States. At one point we had like the highest number and this was like exasperated by the pandemic and so um I kind of got involved in south side like housing work um and also like I I was able to bring a lot of my passions into the law firm so I'm really I'm really into black women and girls receiving the help and support that they need throughout their lives and one of the clients one of the pro bono clients at Kirkland is the YWCA of Chicago and they're tagline is empowering women and ending racism I'm like sign me up and I have had such a great experience I've 
I have worked with this pro bono client. I've gone to dinner with their, I've gone to lunch with their CEO and president, like a fantastic organization based in the South side of Chicago. And that's just meant to help women and girls. Like I have a board meeting for the YWCA in a couple months, a couple of weeks. And I'm so excited. Like my pro bono work touches Chicago and my life. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, and it's allowed me to stay involved, but also kind of like um, receive credit at the law firm for staying involved. So that's been great. But yeah, I, I still I still try to stay in touch with the community and um, hope and it feeds a lot of my it feeds my soul because like you can't have your whole life be a law firm or law school or anything like you have to be you have to have a life outside of it. Um, and so it, it's been really good for me. That's awesome, Savannah. Do you have any final words of advice for anyone that's either, you know, interested in learning more about going to law school, anyone that's currently in law school, or just, you know, general podvocate listeners? Yes, a couple of, a couple of nuggets to take away from um, run your own race, like we said, and don't look to the left and right, just run your own race and master your craft, whatever that might be. Try to be the very best at it. Um, jump in, dive into it. Um, also, there are some moments in your life where you don't have to be the best. You just have to survive and you just have to get through. And there's a couple times in law school, before law school, after law school, where I told myself all I needed to do was get through. I don't need to be the best. I just need to make it. And I... I think that's important. I think it's important to know that's you that you have it in you to make it and you don't have to put all this pressure on yourself to make it look a certain way or feel a certain way or receive affirmation in the way that you might even want. Um, you know, it, it might not turn out that way. Um, also, just last thing, everyone is going to get a job. You will get a job. Everyone's going to get a job. And then you're going to have too much work. And then you're going to be like, why didn't I enjoy the time when I wasn't beholden to the billable hours? So uh, live life for everyone who's not in law school yet or in law school, you'll probably end up working for the next like couple decades of your life. So travel, spend that little money you have, live it up and um, take care of yourself and just get through. Thank you so much for joining us on the Podvocate today, Savannah. Of course. That's all from us here at The Podvocate. Thanks again for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, please email us at thepodvocate at gmail.com. Visit our website at thepodvocate.com for more information on this episode and our guests. The Podvocate is produced by WLUW, the student-run independent radio station broadcasting from the School of Communications at Loyola University, Chicago. Our editors-in-chief are Christy Paredes and Marissa Polowitz. Our associate editors are Naka Ugu, Marcus McNeil, Andy Vandenbush, and Casey Callahan. Special thanks to Professor John Dane and Dean Stephen Russian for providing the resources and support to make this show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Podvocate.